This is episode number 186 with Jeff Krasno. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. everyone to today's episode and if you've ever dreamed of building something so powerful something so much bigger than yourself a movement a community of people that spans all around the world then today is a great episode for you because Jeff Krasno is the co-founder of Wanderlust which brings together a remarkable group of yoga and meditation instructors musical performers speakers artists and chef for transformational retreats in the world's most awe-inspiring natural places and resorts. He's a musician, a husband, a father of three daughters, and again, is the co-founder of Wanderlust. And I'm very excited to dive into this interview. It felt like 20 minutes when we were talking, um, but it ended up being close to an hour interview and uh, really dove into a lot of the things about how Jeff went from being a music producer and working in that industry to having an idea that now has blown up and is one of the biggest movements around the world in that space and how he's really developed this incredible culture in his business and this culture in this community that is spreading the message for him. So again, I'm very excited to dive into this. And without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into this episode with the one and only co-founder of Wanderlust, Jeff Krasno. Welcome, everyone, to the School of Greatness podcast. Very excited about today's guest. His name is Jeff Krasno. How's it going, Jeff? I'm doing great, Lewis. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited about this. Now, Jeff is the co-founder of Wanderlust Festivals, uh, which is a movement for, uh, for people to discover their best selves, essentially. But it's all about... And I'm, I guess I, what I want to know is there's a definition of wanderlust in the dictionary, and then you have a different definition. Is there a way that you could explain them both to me? Yeah, I'd be happy to. So the definition in the dictionary for wanderlust is this innate desire to travel. And for me, I've always used wanderlust kind of metaphorically, that kind of mirroring that desire to know the world, to go out and explore the world. There's also this kind of insatiable quest to look inward and explore yourself, to mine deeper and to really find your true north, to cultivate your best self. So, you know, when we use wanderlust, we're sort of using it both ways to explore the world, but also to explore yourself. I love that. That's awesome. And what inspired you to, you know, you've got this book, which is called Wanderlust, a modern yogi's guide to discovering your best self and find your true north. And the book is incredible. I'm going to tell you guys more about this uh, a little bit later, but I think everyone should get a copy because it's just so visually inspiring that it makes me want to go out and just change the world alone from its visual beauty. Uh, but there's just great exercises and content in here as well. But what uh, inspired you to create a movement and a festival uh, called Wonderlust? Well, I can't say that we were set out to start a movement. It was a little more humble um, than that at the beginning anyways. Um, you know, a lot of it honestly has to do uh, with my wife, Skylar, who uh, 
started Kula Yoga, which was a yoga studio. Um, it still is. It's been going for the last, well, let's see, 14 years. And she, uh, she opened that yoga studio literally out of the ashes of 9-11, um, just two blocks north of the World Trade Center. Wow. And uh, my office was actually down below uh, on 28 Warren Street. And she opened the yoga studio just the floor above. I was running a music entertainment management company and uh, there was literally ash in our building um so uh so um she felt that really that the community there needed a place to go uh in those months when they actually let us back into that little radius right and so she built out this it was a yoga studio, but what I saw it quickly become was this, you know, community center, to be honest. Um, and, you know, the tears and the joy and the sweat and the community that built in that those first, you know, six months to a year um, after 9-11 was so palpable. It was really just, it was life-changing for me. Um and uh, and it was, I think, really life changing for a lot of the people that lived right in that neighborhood. Right. Um, and so that was kind of my first um, sort of window into it. And my wife was leading these retreats down to Costa Rica quite a bit. And my business partner and I, Sean, would sort of tag along um, uh, on what I call kind of the first of many bumpy roads in the name of yoga. Right. And, uh, literally we would like bump down, you know, out on our way to the Osa Peninsula. And we were out there, um, waking up early, you know, eating the food that grew right there. Um, you know, doing yoga, meditating, surfing, uh, cooking together, you know, playing music and dancing, you know, having a glass of wine or, you know, a beer or two in the evening. And, you know, at that point, you know, we looked around and we asked ourselves, you know, if this could work uh, for 30 people in the middle of the rainforest in the Osa Peninsula in Costa Rica, you know, could it work for 5,000 people on the side of a mountain um, in North America? And we didn't know the answer at that point, but we do now. And the answer was yes. And, and, uh, and not just on the mount, on a mountain in North America, all over the world. Um, and that's what we've seen is this incredible afflorescence of this culture that is the yoga lifestyle. And it's yoga beyond what you do on the mat. It's yoga sort of as a principle for living. You know, it's, it's, how, what's the yoga of your relationship? What's the yoga of your business, of how you eat, of how you treat people, of how you treat the earth? You know, people are starting to see a thread connecting all of those things um, in a way that feels very organic. So, you know, honestly, that was the humble beginning was really this idea that we had in, in Costa Rica. And then, you know, translating that into reality, which it's, which is, you know, honestly, like a lot of nut, nuts and bolts. Right. Um, there's a creative spark to it, but there's also kind of a lot of production operations and, you know, marketing and, you know, website functionality and sales functionality, all the different stuff that it takes sure. to create, create a business. Um, but yeah, so, you know, that's, that's where it started. And, and then, you know, it just kind of got a momentum, um, of its own a bit. And, uh, yeah. And when was this retreat in Costa Rica? 
this was, I think, you know, about 2000. Well, she was, she's led maybe about 50 of them, but I think this was maybe about 2006, 2007, where we got the idea. And then, and then um, when was the when was the first big festival on the mountain or? The, the first one was in Squaw Valley in 2009. So, gotcha. you know, we were raising money for that in the fall of 2008 over and over again. Wow. Because <laughs> um, that was not an easy time to, to do that. And um, so we kind of got ourselves over a barrel because we had basically contracted with the mountain. We're going to go in and we're going to do this event. And so we just sort of had to do it. Sure. Uh, and uh and that was the first one and and how much uh, was uh how much was the production cost for the entire event that one was you know if you include talent and everything sure. um all the costs were significantly higher than the revenue <laughs> generated <laughs> okay. uh but it was about uh, i think 1.4 million dollars to, wow. to do that, that first event just to produce uh, the event just okay. to produce the event and to book wow. all the talent and sure. to do all the other things that you needed to do. And how many how many people showed up for the first event? Uh, there's a big difference between how many people showed up how and many how people many people paid. <laughs> <laughs> well, how many people paid? Uh, What's the what or both? How many people we had paid a, we, and showed up? So we we had oh god, you know, to be honest, I don't really remember, but I think we had we had we have different kinds of tickets. I think we had about 800 people pay for the yoga lifestyle activity part of the event. And then a couple thousand people pay for the, uh, for the music ticket, which was quite cheap. And then, um, and then there was a lot of people that, uh, that were part of the community that came gotcha. sort of on a gratis basis, let's say, right, right. um, I think it was about, so my, my roots are very much in the music industry. I grew up as a musician and then started producing records and all this stuff. Classical, so, classical records, right? Uh, some jazz, singer-songwriter, always very musical, nice. musical, nothing too pop-focused. Sure. But uh, um, it was about a month and a half out from the festival, and I was at a, another festival backstage at, at Bonnaroo, and I had those, I'd known those guys that started that kind of way back in the day and uh you know we could not sell a ticket you know we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't give a ticket away really really and I, I was you know and it was a new concept it was sort of hard to explain yeah it's a music festival but it's got yoga and it's got organic food and back then it wasn't it just didn't make sense i mean now it seems so obvious sure. uh, and we're much better at explaining it but back then it was you know, it was kind of indie rock, but then it was people doing yoga, and meditating. <laughs> but how does that have anything to do with Spoon or Andrew Bird or Jenny Lewis or any of these? So I was sitting backstage with a guy, an agent, that's a guy named Matt Hickey. And I said, Matt, I can't sell a ticket. I don't know what to do. And he's like, you just go there, go there and grab handfuls of tickets and you got to go to every single uh you know establishment restaurant bar party farm stand you know anything anyone that'll have you and just wire up the community so i have three daughters and we uh we we trucked out to uh to squaw valley and we uh we set up shop there for 40 40 days 40 days and 40 nights and my daughter Phoebe and I, um, we we stocked up a station wagon with posters and flyers wow. and tickets and and duct tape and staple guns and whatnot and just uh, and really hit the road old school grassroots and 
just got the word out. And, you know, that first year, you know, enough people came and we saw what worked, you know, and it was really what worked was really like this, the yoga thing, the lifestyle thing, this idea that there was this sort of safe sanctuary place for people to commune around kind of a shared practice and shared values and obviously very and honestly very female focused. Sure. Um, you know, men have their golf outings and their fly fishing trips and, you know, whatever else they have. But women, you know, they don't have the same, uh, I don't think, um, variety of experiences where they can get away with their friends. And we were like, wow, this is really what people are craving. They're pre- craving a safe place to get away, to commune, to, and to do kind of the best things in life. And so we just sort of zeroed in on what was really, really working. And then the next year we, we nailed it. And then uh, we were able to scale it pretty quickly after that. Wow. And so the following year, you just did one big event in 2009 and then one other big event in 2010. Is that right? Or were there other... Yeah, that was it. And then, uh, and then from there after, you know, 2010 was a solvent, uh, year. Um, we were able to really go quickly and add, um, you know, a number of events. I think we're at 42 events now around the world. So, but there's one big wonderlust event every year, right? Well, they're all big now. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. They're all pretty pretty uh pretty much at the same scale gotcha. um so yeah, there's, not, there's not one mecca event then well squaw valley you know is the oldest it's sort of the the grandfather event and it's still i guess probably you know the most grandiose i would sure, say on some sure. level but uh you know we do event here in brooklyn which is just a one-day event but we did over ten thousand people last year wow. um so it's it's uh it's really happening and you know, there's uh, it's all over the place. We've got some amazing partners in Australia and New Zealand, so they've got five or six events running this year. We've got wow. great partners in Canada. We've got Mexico rolling out this year, and Europe coming next year. So it's uh, it's honestly, we're not even really pressing the gas. It's sort of actually happening in a way that's just yeah. organic. Yeah, just um, which is a kind of a nice way to do it. It's amazing. And how many people have attended an event? over the last few years all around the world? Oh, boy. That's a tough one. I think this year we'll do about 130,000 people across the event platform. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's... Uh, and those are all paid tickets? Those are all paid tickets, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. I'm just thinking of the intro infrastructure you have to have to be able to create all these events around the world, the teams you must have, the systems in place and the backend on your website must be incredible. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. And it's funny because it's such a millennial atmosphere here. I'm in right. Brooklyn, just where our, our headquarters is. And of course, like our our web developer is like surfing in Nicaragua while <laughs> developing the website. And I'm like, this is such a uh, a sort of crystallization of who what our culture is right sure. now. Like, okay, he's surfing and developing a pretty complicated back end right now. Right. Um, but actually, we lured him back uh, for at least a little while. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, there's a lot of systems, a lot of infrastructure um, that, uh, that goes into it for sure. Now, are you surprised by this movement you've created? Again, 130,000 plus people. I'm assuming every year it's almost doubling, maybe even more since you started. Um, are you surprised by the, the growth in 
just, I guess, five and a half years? Or did you have this vision in 2006 when you did this first retreat? Did you have this vision that this is something you could create within 10 years and have people all over the world living this way, this lifestyle, the way you wanted to live? Uh well, I'll paraphrase Bubba Watson, which I think he said, I never made it this far in my dreams or <laughs> in this case, my vision. Um, but I didn't. I didn't make it this far uh, when I first thought about it. Um, and uh, and now, you know, it's just it's just very humbling that it's happening um, and also very challenging because, you know, there's something at the core of this. Uh, the core of eating locally or going to your local yoga studio or um, commuting with your friends and cooking dinner, like this whole movement that we represent, there is this hyper local quality to it. Sure. You know, yet here we are sort of scaling it all over the world. And it's finding that balance of like, okay, what actually feels truly authentic um, and not just like, you know, a big business expansion. Um, and that really is the, the line that we have to balance and not just for appearances, actually honest for honest reality. Uh, cause I don't want to just stamp things out that then end up just feeling hollow. That's just, uh, antithetical to mm-hmm. why we started doing it in the first place. So that's the, that's the balance right now is, uh, you know, doing this and finding the right partners and really digging in. I mean, it's honestly not a simple thing to scale because it's so high touch. Sure. It's it's not just a product that, you know, has a margin and then it's all about volume. You know, it's not a piece of clothing right, right, right. or something. It is like a, an, it's an experience sure. and experiences are by nature very hard to scale. So, because um, usually, so, yeah, because usually yeah. the bigger the experience or the bigger the audience the harder it is to be as intimate and connected and vulnerable and open typically, right? Yeah. And also unlike Bonnaroo that I love and that I mentioned earlier, like this event doesn't work for 80,000 people at a time, mm-hmm. you know, practicing yoga with 80,000 people to me, that's, that's, doesn't mean it. That's, that's not a real experience. It might be a cool community experience, mm-hmm. but it's not a practice. You know, you can't right. really get a practice out of that. So there's a point at which our events just actually max out and, you know, above which wouldn't really feel like you're really getting anything from it. And that's at the core of these events. It's like we managed to curate and bring in like all of this incredible talent. I mean, these experts from, you know, farmers and philosophers and chefs and yoga teachers and meditators and, you know, writers and, you know, just all of this this cauldron of talent that sort of like comes together in this place for four days. And then it's really about the guest finding that gem of wisdom, that little discovery that then they can apply to their own life and bring back into their world, bring back into their community. Um, and it's that curation process is incredibly time consuming. You know, it's incredibly uh, deep and, you know, so, you know, it's not a, like I said, it's not, it's not just a, quick a like thing. A, yeah, yeah. It's not a food and beverage product, like consumer product or whatever that you right. just, it's on an assembly line and you're just turning it out. So, <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, no, it's a, uh, yeah. So that's, that's, uh, that's cool. Yeah. 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 Well, the, you know, on the, the cover of your book, it says to find your true North. And can you tell me what does that exactly mean? And do you feel like 
The majority of the people in the world are not, they haven't found their true north or they're not following the compass to get there. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure you ever find it. Um, Like I I say in the book, like the train doesn't stop and the whistle goes off and says, oh, you're true north. You've you've made it, you know, time to get off. Um, I think, you know, Patabi Joy said, practice, practice, practice. And I think that that's what it is. It's a process for living and that we can create certain guidelines and learn these lessons that make that process um, rich and full and almost unwittingly inside that process, you've found something, you know, you've turned, you know, the, you've turned away from the shadow and towards the light and you glimpse for a moment like the beauty and truth in its, in its real form, you know. Um, and, and that's where that beauty is when you've, you know, aligned um, what you're doing with what you love to do and, and time sort of evaporates. And that's kind of those moments of true north. Um, so I call, I call that finding yeah. the zone. Yeah, well, that's what, you know, I when we try to get more men to the events, that's what I've often referred it to it as the zone. And we know it because of sports. We know it because we grew up with Michael Jordan closing his eyes and hitting a free throw or Roger Federer or whoever was, you know, our, you know, sports idols where they're in that zone where they have perfect awareness of their body and space and um, and all those those things where they can't miss. Um, and. And I think, you know, through the practice of meditation, through the practice of yoga, through these things, I think the zone becomes a little bit more accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, find your true north. I mean, it, it came out of, you know, sort of a month that I spent, you know, out of the office up in Connecticut where I do some thinking and writing. And uh, I was sort of, I'm kind of geek out on branding a little bit. And, mm-hmm. you know, we spoke a little bit about wanderlust and the definition of wanderlust and then the metaphorical way that we use wanderlust to really around self-exploration. And so, you know, I was really playing with that travel idea a lot. And, you know, we came up with the compass of like, okay, well, that's a really great visual guide for the brand um, because here we are, we're kind of helping people navigate their path um, to cultivate their best self. And then, you know, that notion of find your true north, well, it's obviously kind of a geographic reference or a travel reference, but it also kind of refers very directly to, you know, your true north as kind of your best self, your most inspired life. And so, we, you know, after 30 days, I was very proud of myself. I thought there was sort of an an elegant way of how the, the metaphor of wanderlust, the compass, and find your true north all sort sure. of work together explaining it yeah pretty nicely but and i haven't really had a single good branding thought since then but <laughs> that i'll ride, well, I'll hey, ride it on, worked. on it that worked. i'll ride on that wave for exactly a while. Yeah. what a what is your process then for finding your true north or how would you explain to someone the process to discovering it yeah well i think it's really different for everybody to be honest with you um it, you know, I think it absolutely is. Uh, you know, for me, it's, um, you know, there's a number of things and some of them are just kind of like silly, like, you know, don't have your coffee in the morning on an empty stomach, you know, <laughs> like things right, right. that like, but, but those actually have real ramifications because when I do that, I'm jittery, I'm not focused, like my stomach is like acidic, you know, um, 
and I tend to like jump around a lot and, you know, send a lot of emails or whatever, and I'm not really focused. And so, you know, what I've always found is like, you know, wisdom comes in the spaces, mm. that idea. And to create space for yourself, um, to really be focused and be creative. Like, I think there is a Don Draper madman line. Um, which I'll butcher, but, you know, someone asks him like, you know, how do you come up with all these great branding ideas? And he's like, I think about it all day. And then I go to the movies. Um, and, uh, and you know, what he's talking about is like, okay, well he pours over and he, he knows it inside now, but then he gives himself some space for the wisdom to come in. And so it's, it's a battle to do that. Um, because it's very, very easy to get swallowed up into the sea of digital noise and texting and emailing and doing and doing and growing and biggering and biggering that you don't, that you don't actually give yourself, uh, the space to really have the best and most focused ideas. So that's something I try to work on, um, every day where I actually take some time away from all modes of communication. Um, and that might be doing yoga or meditating or just going to the gym or, um, you know, spending more time with my children or whatever, just ways to find more space. Um, cause that, that really, that really helps me. Um, I like that. You know, it's funny you said that because <clears throat> I listened to an episode of, uh, another podcast called on being with yo-yo ma and he mm. said he said music happens between the notes uh, and, and I, your you know your quote of wisdom comes in the, in the spaces is you know kind of rang true with that and being a musician or a music producer in the past yourself i'm assuming you could appreciate that you know it's interesting because there's some days where i'll be just be working non-stop all day long and i'm a big movie guy myself so to decompress i go to two movies a week usually and I get a lot of fresh ideas when I come out of it. And I think it's good to make sure that we take time to really allow ourselves to, uh, you know, relax and, and work on our bodies and our minds and our souls and feed the other elements of our, our lives as opposed to just our, you know, our, our business or just our, our goals on by themselves. So I really yeah. like that. Uh, I have this, uh, Nobody knows this until now. So I have this very embarrassing exercise technique that I've sort of created for myself called yoga, which is really jogging yoga. And uh, <laughs> let's, let's it's, hear it. <laughs> it's, well, it's cardio. So it's jogging kind of on your bottom half and it's sort of yoga on your top half. So you're kind of going through these kind of shoulder openings and, you know, kind of you're doing sort of like, you know, sun salutations and warrior poses and whatnot. On, While you're running? While you're running. No so, way. <laughs> yeah. So you so look, it looks funny. <laughs> you look really goofy, but you know, I, I find I have this place up in Connecticut where there's this kind of straightaway and where it's right out on the water. It's beautiful and a uh, very inspiring place to be. And it's kind of the straightaway uh, of this kind of dirt path with some very tall marshland, marshland on the, on the side. And, you know, I go out there, I usually try to go in the middle of the day and it's really sunny and the sun's like coming right down on you and I'm, you know, doing my yoga and kind of really opening my, my chest and my body as I'm running and like getting flexible, trying to maximize flexibility. And I took my daughter out there and 
you know, and I was like, hey, you know, she's 10 and she can keep up with me now. And actually she dusts me, to be honest with you. Wow. But she, she came out there with me and I, I was like, well, this is, the, this is the little area where I do my yoga. I'm like, you want to try it with me? She's like, sure. So we're doing it and, you know, we're opening up our chests and like looking up and the sun's beating down. And she's like, you know, dad, what is this? What is this exercise all about? And I said, well, you know, you're kind of opening yourself up and letting God's light shine through you. And she's like, okay, okay. Um, so then the next day she's like, can I come with you again? And, um, and I was like, sure. So we went out there and we, we did our yoga and we came back to the house. And later that day she was like, you know, I was out there and we were, and I was letting, I was trying to let God's light shine through me. And I came up with this wonderful idea. And I said, well, what's the idea? And she's like, well, you know, this big kind of yoga cultural center that you're opening in Hollywood. And I said, yeah. And she's like, what if that just became like a, a homeless shelter? <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is a, I was like, <laughs> I'm not sure my investors would love that idea, <laughs> but that is a truly wonderful, inspired um, idea for anybody to have, but for a 10 year old to be like, okay, you know, for a moment, like, and she was completely serious that she let God's light shine through her. And that was, that was, that was God's idea that, that, wow. that came into her. So it was pretty cool. So that's my yoga routine. And, uh, I don't have maybe ideas as inspired as that, but that's what I try to do as much as I can. Very cool. Wow. That's awesome. When people come to the festival, or to any of the events, excuse me, uh, from Wonderlust, do they get a roadmap on how to find their true north, or does it just happen organically, kind of like the festival growth has been? Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that because it's an internal discussion that we've had. Uh, I think one of the things that's really, really cool and unique about our event is that it, there's a choose-your-own-adventure component to it. Mm. So. Literally, when you buy a ticket, you're pushed into this ma huge scheduler and there's like 200 different classes or hikes or stand-up paddleboard or surfing lessons or farm-to-table things or whatever that you can choose from. And you, you literally create your own, you know, customized schedule. Um, and, um, and that's really, uh, I think that's really cool. It's really unique. Um, but what I've also felt is that it's a little overwhelming because people open up the schedule and they're like, oh my God, Too like to choose from. Yeah. there's a hundred yoga classes. I don't know which <laughs> one's right for me. So, you know, we've started to try to take our role as, you know, if you'll pardon the endless travel metaphors, as a as the navigator a little bit more now, right, right. Um, where, you know, we are providing navigation along this road to find your true north. And how do we do that? So, you know, we've started to create tracks, like, are you a nature lover? Are you a beginner? Are you, uh, you know, what's, what's going on? And as we kind of move into the future, like, do you have certain issues? Are you have sleeplessness problems or anxiety stress, problems right. or stress or, uh, you know, tight hamstrings or whatever. And certain, I think, or yeah. And as we kind of, I think, get our web development even more um, sophisticated, that those are the things that we're thinking about sort of being able to add in. Now, we have that at a very basic level now where we have tracks that, you know, people can choose and they have a sort of a self-populated schedule. Um, but I think what we want to do is take it kind of to the next level where we really can help be the navigators to connect kind of expert advice, techniques, recipes for living, if you will, 
you know, to individual people's needs and desires and wants. And I think to be able to be that navigator, to connect that line between the two, that would be, uh, that's a, that's a great goal for us. Sure. That'd be, that'd be amazing. I think. And, you know, a lot of my listeners, I got listeners from all over the world. We get about 800,000 downloads a month right now. And a lot of entrepreneurs, but then a lot of entrepreneurial thinkers, dreamers, and, you know, about 50-50 men and women, a little bit more women actually listen to the podcast. And the thing that I, the most common theme that it comes up for me is people who are multimillionaires who listen. And then there's people who are completely broke trying to figure out their lives. And the common theme is people that want to take the people that feel stuck and they don't know where to go in their in this, the next step in their life, whether they're really successful or broke or in between. Um, or they're just looking to take, looking to figure out how to get to the next level. They're either stuck or they're just looking to figure out how to get to the next level. And uh, I love your approach in the book. You know, you've got, I, I saw that um, Congressman Tim Ryan was, uh, has a feature in here as well. And some other people like Gabby Bernstein, who's a friend. Um, you've got some great features in here. They've uh, Tim has been on the, the podcast as well. Now, is this, would you say that your book gives people the process and the roadmap like your festival for kind of figuring out how to get to that next level or how to get unstuck or discover what their, you know, their true calling is. Do you feel like it has everything they need? Cause there's a lot of exercise in here and incredible sections yeah. to, to give them, to give them that unstuck feeling. I hope so. I mean, that was, that's the idea. You know, it was very much modeled after this book called The Artist's Way. I, I don't know if you know that book, yeah. but um, it's Julia Cameron's book. But um, in the sense of its sort of interactivity and works and kind of projects and, um, you know, not really trying to be a coffee table, more like spill coffee on it, get into it, <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, have it live in your life. You know, I hope that, you know, my goal with this one is I open up, I, I, I find it in a secondhand store and I open it up and it's got scrawled writing all up in it and da, da, da. So that's kind of where I hope sure. it goes. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there is, when I was approaching it, I was like, okay, you know, there's a challenge to it because there's a lot of contributors. Um, and it would have been very easy just to go out to all of like the thought leaders and the famous people or whatever, and just be like, Hey, would you write a bit for the book and da, 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 and just smush it all together and just, you know, but we didn't really want to do that because, you know, we wanted to create some kind of narrative arc, some sort of pathway, some sort of throughput, some common voice, um, to the whole thing. So when we started to kind of pave what that looks like, you know, we found, and, you know, I started to create a table of contents that had a bit of an arc where, where, you know, you have to start somewhere and starting is with finding your practice. You know, what is that practice? I have to understand what that practice is. I have to start doing it five minutes, 10 minutes a day. How do I find my teacher? You know, all these very basic, um, questions and answers that you need to confront at the at the beginning and then sort of gradually as you get into the book it becomes i think more you know sophisticated more challenging and you get into places like well how do i really like find my creative spark uh how and you know how do i unlock that creativity and then you know really towards the end of like how do i bring my best self into the world right now how do i be you know actualize that my leadership qualities how do i actually step into that version of my idealized version of myself 
Um, and, you know, that's the kind of pathway for the book. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I, and, um, like the festival, and I think people are going to discover, you know, little kernels of wisdom that apply to themselves and then other things that don't. And that's perfectly fine. And this book, I, I don't think will ever be picked up and read cover to cover in a linear sequential way. I think there'll be, you know, you're going to open up in the middle or there's things that you're going to come back to or there's things that you're going to resonate with. Um, you know, I, I like for me, I um like I think a lot of people, I get feelings of powerlessness from time to time, from time to time. Like, what can I, you know, I'm this tiny little singular person, you know, and there's, there's a diabetes epidemic and there's people dying with heart disease and there's environmental catastrophe. And like, what am I going to do? Like, how am I going to turn back? How am I going to, how am I going to contribute to the, to the, betterment of mankind. And so, I don't know, Joel Salatin, who is uh, one of the contributors of the book and has come and spoken at the events many times, you know, he, anytime I start to feel that powerlessness, I kind of come back to this idea that he talks about, which is our current state of being, all it is, is a um, aggregation of a billion little decisions, Mm -hmm. you know? And, you know, once you like learn how to cook a beet or grow a basil plant on your windowsill in New York City right. or or anything like that, then you become part of that change, part of those billions of little decisions. And I think now in this age of connectivity, if you can then take that and then all of a sudden you are part of a CSA and then or, um, you know, where we actually run a, a raw milk <laughs> little distribution <laughs> kind of thing. And, um, and, uh, then all of a sudden you're influencing those people. And that is a geometric progression that's pushing outwards and you become, you know, those decisions, those little decisions, you know, you become part of that movement of the billions of decisions moving, you know, the current state of being. And, uh, and that's, I think, very hopeful. Um, sure. And, uh, and that's something that I kind of come back to, you know, a lot that you actually can be a part of positive change. And it doesn't mean that you've got to like, be the president of the United States. In fact, it may be more powerful for you to do something in your own little community or in your own family. Sure. Yeah. I like that. And, you know, throughout the book, you t- as I went through this, you cover a lot of things that I follow in my daily life. You know, you talk about meditation and gratitude and overcoming fear and, and, and igniting your inner creativity, freeing your, your inner child, things like that. And you talk about having a mantra how to create all these things, all these things that I talk about in the School of Greatness. So for me, I really resonate with this. And I'm curious, what does a daily ritual for you look like? What are the must-do things that you do every single day that serve you in staying on track to your true north? Yeah, you know, a couple of things. I mean, like I said before, trying to find some space. But there's some things that I do that are just very physical. And then there's actually some things that I do that are more mental. Um you know, I have a very, very simple meditation um, technique, which is honestly just, uh, I wouldn't call myself an advanced meditator in any way. Um, but I try to spend 10 minutes per day um, sitting quietly, 
um, and really practicing non-attachment to thought. And, you know, like it's very, very hard um, <laughs> because, you know, things are coming into your brain, but actually letting them come in and actually letting them go out without judgment and, and not being mad at yourself when they're actually coming in. But it's actually that process of letting them come in and watching them disappear and blowing them away mm. and blowing them away. And it's really amazing when I do that and I'm doing that on a consistent basis, uh, you just have so much more clarity um, and your thought process is more focused. Your decision making is better. So um, and, and you, you, you don't get as wound up with the uh, the little, you know, the million things per day that might go wrong or might go right. You know, you just don't get as wound up. They just pass through. They just go away. You know, someone cuts you off at an intersection or whatever. Yeah, whatever. It just goes away. It just mm. poof out, out. So you train your mind. I mean, that's a training. That's sure. a kind of a training to be able to get to that place. And when you're doing it a lot, it's great because you don't really let things bother you anymore, sure. um, which is really nice. And then there's some just physical things. I was always an athlete, continue to be sort of a weekend warrior, to be honest. <laughs> um, but um, for me, you know, I carry around a lot of stress, a lot of tension in my hips. I actually had a hip replacement at a pretty young age wow. um, last year. And uh, How old are you? I'm 44, so yeah, so yeah, so that and that was a big, big thing. It was really mostly because I had been pounding away on basketball courts and tennis courts all my life. Um, but you know, I have to. So I, I, I carry a lot of stiffness and I have kind of lack of range of motion in my hips, and um, so I try to spend at least 20 minutes in Varasana uh, every day, and that's you know just sitting on a block. Um, and stretching my hips and kind of, you know, the front parts of my legs and things like that. And you can do that a and be a dude. You can actually do that and drink a beer and watch a basketball game. Um, but it's, uh, but that's something kind of just physically that I try to do, um, you know, every day. Um, and then there's just like, you know, I have my, my things, um, you know, I have exercise, morning exercise ritual, um, and during that ritual, I actually, it's also kind of, it's, it's a physical, obviously cardio ritual, but I really try to find, um, a place to lead with grace. Um, and I try to remind myself of that every day of that, you know, I'm blessed to work every day with, you know, some just absolutely talented, gifted, you know, a lot of young people here in the office, um, and that they're looking, you know, to me, um, and, it's hard to remember that all the time, but they're looking to me for leadership and, you know, trying to find that place of grace uh, with which to lead. And a lot of that is about listening. It's about um, being compassionate. It's about letting other people have the best ideas mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, just trying to find that grace. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, I, I'm, you know, on a good day, I'm barely successful, <laughs> um, you know, but that's it. But I try to remind myself that every day um, because it's actually one of the best parts of my existence and my job. It's not even really a job. It's just a life. Mm -hmm. But uh, here is watching the the flourishing of, of young people. And, you know, we're. I think, you know, we're like 58 women and two guys or something here. <laughs> um, 
and you know I have three daughters. Uh, so, you know, in some ways my plight as a human, I think is in some ways to contribute to <laughs> woman, womanhood in some fashion. Right. right. And, and, um, and I just love watching, uh, the young creative women here become sort of empowered and take on new challenges and, you know, own an ownership and, uh, and kind of move up within the company and feel good about that. And so that's, that's, uh, that's a great part of my existence. That's cool. And what's your mantra when things, you know, don't go the way they're supposed to? <laughs> well, I'm not sure I'm allowed to talk about my mantra because it's very personal. Gotcha. Uh, okay. But uh, I will say, I'll give you another just brief story about mantra because I do have like a, a non-personal one as well. Sure. Um, so in my, in my last life, or my last kind of career uh, in music, um, I was representing a lot of extremely talented musicians and I had this one wonderful singer, a very young woman, um, who uh, joined Herbie Hancock's band for um, a couple of tours and it was amazing. I got to um, got to know Herbie a bit and I wasn't going to all the shows, but I was going to enough of them. And, um, and he had a ritual backstage. He's a Buddhist and, um, and that he would practice before going on stage and so I brought my my daughter comes back into it again Phoebe who was pretty young at that point maybe five and I brought her backstage at Carnegie Hall uh, when Herbie was playing there and he had kind of his own little private dressing room within a bigger dressing room and he said you know it was maybe 20 minutes before he would go on and he would invite everyone to come in and chant uh, in his dressing room and so you know, a couple of us would go in there and he would chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo. And, you know, that's his chant. That's a, um, I should know more about exactly what it is, but it is a Buddhist chant that gets, uh, I think that is part of a, a regular mantra for a lot of people. And, um, and so I sat there with my daughter and, and for 20 minutes to chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo without stopping, it actually takes a tremendous amount of uh, <laughs> endurance. Yeah. yeah energy but she like just stuck with it um my daughter did the whole time and so that sort of became our sort of go-to uh our go-to mantra and we'll still chant that together quite often you know we'll go in a sauna or we'll just find some quiet time somewhere and and or often in the car on long road trips we'll do uh long chants of nam yoho renge kyo and that becomes our our go-to mantra that's cool and what do you i've got a few questions left for you but i I want to ask, what do you think is the most powerful way to wind things down and go to sleep? What's the most powerful yeah. process? Yeah, that's a good one. Because, um, yeah, that's, that is such a big deal right now for so many people, um, sleeplessness. And, and you know, I, I'll say that there have been times in my life where I've struggled with it. Um, I mean, you know, the, a lot of it is like, you know, the obvious stuff. I mean, you know, that I think we've heard a lot about at this point, which is, you know, um, too much, you know, digitizing, um, too close to bed. But I, I would say, you know, especially I think as you get a little bit older, um, that for me, it's a lot about diet and eating. It's actually eating schedule. Mm. And uh, I try almost never to eat after 7, 7.30 um, because I just, my body has a hard, much harder time digesting right. and you wake up. And so that's a big thing for me. Um, 
You know, I think it is really a good to the degree that you can to get some separation from your digital devices and your emails and your and 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 that sort of stuff. I think, you know, like to store your computer and your phone in another room other than your bedroom. So, you know, charge them in your office or downstairs or wherever, but not in your bedroom. Mm. Um, and I think that's a good one because that makes you put them somewhere and then <laughs> it's like a trick. And then you go into your bedroom to go to sleep. Right. Um, so, you know, I think those two things, you know, are huge. Um, you know, breathing is obviously such um, a big one of being very, very conscious of your breath. If you can just spend, you know, I mean, and it, honestly, it just doesn't take that much time. It just takes the discipline to do it. So um, if you can just take five minutes and breathe consciously, uh, aware of each inhale and each exhale, and again, there's going to be thoughts that come into your head, but just let them pass through and just concentrate on your breath. And when you lose that momentum or that concentration, just come back to it, come back to your breath. And the whole thing is actually about knowing that you are going to screw up, (laughs) but that that it's okay. And then you kind of emerge out of the other side of that. And, um, and I think you have a a much, much easier time um, going to sleep. You know, I think the other thing is reading, you know, I don't know, like people don't really read. I mean, they read blogs or tweets, tweets. Yeah. Maybe not even blogs, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, reading books, that's a pretty good, I I read, I read, did, has Dan Harris ever been on the show? If if not, he should be because he, uh, I just finished his book and I thought it was great. I'll have to get him on. Yeah. Three questions left for you. One is with everything you've learned, in your life so far, if you had to sum it up into three truths that you know to be true about life and, uh, you know, everything you've learned from the events, from producing, from traveling, you know, you grew up in many different places all over the world. I read as well. You lived all over the place, with your family. If you could sum what you've learned so far in three truths, what would the three truths about life be? Three truths. Well, I think, One would be about process, that life is process. And, you know, this has proven true over and over again in my life, but certainly with Wanderlust is there was no one single moment that all of a sudden like, oh my God, this thing is huge now. Or, you know, oh my God, you know, now we can do this. It was actually just simply, you know, it's chop wood, carry water, to be honest. Um, It's that life is about a process of doing, you know, things every day and taking joy in them. um, And that it doesn't, it's not about a single inflection point. Um, So I think that that's about trying to, that's a big one is trying to, you know, live life as a process. I think, you know, one thing that I have learned more and more, especially, I think this was really came true when I had kids, is that, you know, as a young person and maybe a single person or someone without kids, that you are the absolute center of your universe. 
Um, and that, you know, as you, uh, I think, grow and mature and perhaps have kids or have things that become uh, important and and that you slowly become, you're not the nucleus anymore, you become sort of an electron and you're sort of pushed out of the center of the universe and that um, you have an actual wisdom in some ways or a viewpoint in towards the universe because you're no longer inside of it anymore. And I think, you know, being, having that awareness of that you are not the center of the universe, that you're actually floating around the outside and you have some sort of objectivity to look in, um, I think is, is sort of a path towards grace in some ways. Um, so, you know, I'm not sure that's as concise as I'd want it to be, but <laughs> next time you have me on the show, I'll have that one really nailed. Okay. Um, so I, I sounded like awareness was. Yeah. Yeah. I think part, yeah. part of that being aware, like learning to be aware of yourself in the world. Yeah. Learning to be aware of yourself. Um, and I guess that's, you know, that's what we're talking about with the zone, with, mm-hmm. you know, having that awareness of your body and space. Um, and so, you know, I, I think that those two things are, you know, extremely important. And then, you know, I would say gratitude, mm-hmm. um, you know, being thankful uh, and having gratitude for living the life that, you know, we are able to lead. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to always recognize that because we all have our battles and, um, but we are so lucky and blessed to be, uh, I mean, certainly I am to have a wonderful family and to be doing something every day that I absolutely love to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, like there's this, uh, there's this, uh, kind of exercise. I think it was initially I learned about it in from a book called, uh, from good to great. But, um, I think it's this kind of notion of finding your hedgehog, which I also think is kind of a landmark forum idea too, but, you know, of kind of drawing these Venn diagrams and of like, you know, here's what you love to do. Here's what you're best at in the world. And here's what, you know, you can actually make a living, living doing and, you know, putting those circles over each other and finding that Delta, um, is a pretty, and I've been fortunate enough to find that Delta of being able to do what I absolutely love to do every day. And I'm very grateful for that. So I think gratitude would be the last one. That's cool. My next question was going to be, what are you most grateful for? So I'm glad you just answered it. Before I ask the final question, I want to make sure that everyone gets a moment to check out Wonderlust, the book, a Modern Yogi's Guide to Discovering Your Best Self and Find Your True North. And it's not uh, you know, you don't have to be a yogi to to go through this process in this book. There are a lot of yoga uh, influences and in, in language, but the content is is about finding your best self and, and bringing that practice into your life as well. Um, so make sure to have that. Uh, get the copy of the book. I'll have it linked up on the show notes. I'll tell you where to go here in a second. And also, you know, check out what's the website? Is just wonderlust.com or wonderlust festivals? Uh, wanderlust.com. There you go. Make sure to check that out and, and check out an event near you. Before I ask the final question, Jeff, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you because for me, what you've created in the last decade is, oh, I guess actually six years, but from the idea you had almost, almost 10 years ago, um, it's something that's so needed in the world right now. And I can only imagine the lives that have been changed and evolved and lives that are happier 
uh, with less stress, that have deeper, meaningful relationships because of what they have experienced and created for themselves from your movement, your your ideas, your creation in the festivals. So I acknowledge you for creating this, for staying in the messiness of running a, a mega business that you have with all the moving parts, as I'm sure that can be stressful in of itself, uh, especially with investors and 60 women to, to manage in their energy every day. Um, so thank you for what you're creating because it's so needed. And I know you're making a huge impact in the world. Um, thank you. Final question is what is your definition of greatness? Well, can I tell you, I'll tell you a story. Perfect. For that one. So, and this is actually also what gets me up in the morning. Um, so a couple of years ago for Wanderlust, we had, um, we had a, um, a contest where to submit videos to teach at Wanderlust. And, you know, it's, it's become a thing that a lot of teachers want to be involved in. And so uh, we thought it was kind of a good social thing and people were going to submit videos. And so um, we got a ton of videos in. And um, there was a woman from Portland, Oregon, and she sent in a video. And she she was cool. She didn't actually match the stereotype of what, um, of what maybe your yogi teacher or your yoga teacher would kind of look like. Um, she was really, really cool. She was a DJ, she was a guitar player, yoga teacher. She had her own kale chips. She made this awesome video. She had this crazy Afro with all sorts of crazy hair color, like pink hair. But she was just really cool. And she made really a beautiful heartfelt video. And, um, and there were a lot of other great videos too, but she, she, um, she took it, she won it. And so she, I got to email her. I was so happy and be like, uh, her name is BB. Um, and I said, Hey BB, you know, awesome. Thanks so much for your submission. We just loved it. And so did everybody else. Cause it got the most likes and, you know, now, um, you know, we'll pay for you to come to Wanderlust and teach and everything like that. And so, um, so she did. And, um, I saw her at the event and I said, hi, and da, da, da. so you fast forward and it was a Sunday in February, super cold. And, uh, I remember getting a, an email in the morning and said, you know, dear Jeff, um, you know, thank you so much for having me teach at Wanderlust. It was from BB. Uh, you know, I realized that day that I could, um, align like all my passions of music and yoga and make them come together in one inspired life. And I said, and I was reading this, I was like, great. And she's like, and you know, by the way, uh, I'm playing, you know, a show later tonight. Uh, you know, I'll be on TV. And I said, okay, great. So, of course, then I was like, I sort of forgot about it. And I was like, well, that's so awesome that someone would reach out and, you know, express their appreciation. So then I'm watching the Super Bowl that night and Beyonce is on the halftime show and Beyonce comes out and sings and like she's singing acapella. And then this woman steps out and there she is, Bebe Miguel, and she does this ripping solo on guitar, oh going back and forth with Beyonce. And Beyonce's like, you know, doing these acapella improvisations, and Bebe's there just like ripping, just the two of them. And I was like, and it was just like tremendous. And, you know, there's like fireworks going off, and like, you know, 120 million, 20 million people, or whatever it is, watching. I think it's the biggest, you know, uh, broadcast every every year and I was like wow that is amazing that this woman would take t 
time, uh, you know, on like what had to be kind of the biggest day of her life, um, to take the time to express her appreciation, um, you know, to me, but also to acknowledge that, um, that she found a way to live her dream, to, you know, live that inspired life, to find that true north, to align all of the things that she was passionate about, um, and to make them a reality and then to kind of crystallize them there, you know, in front of 120 million people. Not everybody gets to do that, but still, um, but still that was really meaningful. I come back to that story, um, quite a lot because, you know, it's an inspiration for me. Um, and it should be for all of us that we can find that thing that we are super, super passionate about doing and align all of our interests in kind of unlocking our, you know, creative potential and living that inspired life. Jeff Krasnow, co-founder of Wonderless Festivals. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. It's totally my pleasure. There you have it, guys. Thanks again so much to Jeff for coming on today and sharing his wisdom. I love what he said here at the end of this interview. And make sure to check out his book, Wonderlust, which is a modern yogi's guide to discovering your best self. Again, it's a beautiful book. I'm looking at it right now, and uh, it's something that for everyone in this book, and I really appreciate the work and the detail they put into this. Make sure to check it out. Also, go to the show notes to get all of the links and resources where you can learn more about Jeff and what he's doing over at lewishouse.com slash 186. We'll have all the links that we talked about here today from this episode. Very excited to connect more with him and his community because I think it's incredible what they're doing. Again, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to head back to lewishouse.com slash 186 and share this with your friends. If you have a friend you think would be really interested in hearing more about Wanderlust, the movement, and uh, learning the tools that Jeff talks about to apply to their life, then make sure to send them this uh, via an email, let them know about it, or post this on your Facebook page, Twitter, you know, Google+, all the places online that you can share this. It would mean the world to me. I appreciate you guys for, for spreading the message about the School of Greatness. This, this thing wouldn't be able to grow without you. I guess it's similar to Wonderlust in a sense where it's the community that helps make it uh, spread so much farther than the people behind it. So again, thank you guys so much for all that you do to share the message of greatness, to allow me to keep finding great guests like Jeff to come on because the platform is growing so much larger than it could ever be before. So you guys know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Great. 